This episode of Sleepy is proudly sponsored by ButcherBox. If you've listened to Sleepy for a while, you know that I love good food, eating well and treating my body right so that I can take on my days. Well, ButcherBox helps you do exactly that. They deliver super high quality, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood right to your door. It's humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones. They have a huge variety to choose from. They are excellent deals. They've got recipes and guides and tips included, and there's free shipping, always. Eating well is a huge factor in getting a good night's sleep, as is sometimes saving the trip to the grocery store and taking some stress out of your daily schedule. I have been loving these deliveries for those reasons. Been cooking up their uh, steak tips with eggs in the morning with butter and scallions and soy sauce. And I also made a delicious brine chicken roast with lemon parsley gravy. So good. The prices for this kind of quality and convenience is really impressive. Uh, yeah, ButcherBox has made me very happy. So sign up at butcherbox.com sleepy and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sleepy and use code sleepy to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Butcherbox.com sleepy. Eat well, sleep well. Hi, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. A podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep. Merry, merry almost Christmas. It's one week away, and um, I really hope that this week you get to relax and um, are filled with the Christmas spirit and get to spend time with loved ones, friends, and family. I'm actually recording this in November 23rd, right before Thanksgiving. Uh, since I'll be away for this month, and I'm already feeling the Christmas spirit, which I love that feeling because it doesn't always come easy every year. So, I'm already feeling it. Um, I hope you are too. Well, I have a incredible little Christmas story for you tonight by L. Frank Baum, the author of The Wizard of Oz, of course. But before we get to the story, um, I just want to thank all of our patrons on Patreon.com. As I'm away... I won't be reading any new names right now, but um, if you're listening and you're a patron, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. This is the uh, best Christmas present I could have asked for, having you around, uh, being a part of making this show. It really, really, really means a lot, so thank you. And um, if you're listening and you're not a patron and you'd like to be a part of making this show, you can do that for as little as a dollar a month. That goes a really long way. At $5, you get access to a uh, Patreon poetry feed with over 50 extra episodes you've not heard before um, that get sent exclusively to you 
each month just for donating. No matter how much you donate, uh, even a dollar, I will usually read your name on the next uh, show after you do. So again, if you would like to be a part of making this show, go to patreon.com slash sleepy radio. Thank you. And as always, the music you're hearing is by my good friend James Levkowski, and the cover up for Sleepy is by Gracie Kana. Tonight, I have a really special Christmas story for you. Um, I did not know this existed until a couple months ago, and I was very excited when I found it. Um, it is The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus by L. Frank Baum. I mean, by the title and who wrote it, you know, this is going to be an amazing story. Um, but it's uh, it truly, truly is sensational writing, and it is the origin story of our dear friend, Santa Claus. And um, kind of tells the story of how he was found on the edge of a forest and adopted by forest nymphs and uh, raised as this sort of mortal creature among mortals. And it's, um, it's really fantastic and whimsical and beautiful and slow-paced enough where you can definitely definitely doze off to it. So, Merry Christmas to you all this Christmas week. The next episode you'll hear will be on Christmas. And, yeah, I just hope you have a really, really wonderful week. Alright, that is enough of me yapping. Now, a Life and Adventures of Santa Claus by Al Frank Baum. And now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Get real comfortable. Close your eyes. And let me read to you. Chapter 1 Burzy Have you heard of the great forest of Burzy? Nurse used to sing of it when I was a child. She sang of the big tree trunks standing close together, with their roots intertwining below the earth and their branches intertwining above it. Of their rough coating of bark and queer gnarled limbs, of the bushy foliage that roofed the entire forest, save where the sunbeams found a path through which to touch the ground in little spots and to cast weird and curious shadows over the mosses, the lichens, and the drifts of dried leaves. The forest of Bursey 
is mighty and grand and awesome to those who steal beneath its shade. Coming from the sunlit meadows into its mazes, it seems at first gloomy, then pleasant, and afterward filled with never-ending delights. For hundreds of years, it has flourished in all its magnificence, the silence of its enclosure unbroken, save by the chirp of busy chipmunks, the growl of wild beasts, and the songs of birds. Yet Bursey has its inhabitants for all this. Nature peopled it in the beginning with fairies, nooks, rills, and nymphs. As long as the forest stands, it will be a home, a refuge and a playground to these sweet immortals who revel undisturbed in its depths. Civilization has never yet reached Bursey. Will it ever, I wonder? Chapter 2 The Child of the Forest Once so long ago, our great-grandfathers would have scarcely heard it mentioned. There lived within the great forest of Bursey a wood nymph named Nasil. She was closely related to the mighty Queen Zerline, and her home was beneath the shade of a wide-spreading oak. Once every year, on budding day, when the trees put forth their new buds, Nasil held the golden chalice of Ak to the lips of the queen, who drank therefrom to the prosperity of the forest. So you see, she was a nymph of some importance, and moreover, it is said she was highly regarded because of her beauty and grace. When she was created, she could not have told. Queen Zerline could not have told. The great Ack himself could not have told. It was long ago when the world was new and nymphs were needed to guard the forest and to minister to the wants of the young trees. Then, on some day not remembered, the seal sprang into being, radiant, lovely, straight and slim as the sapling she was created to guard. Her hair was the color that lines a chestnut burr. Her eyes were blue in the sunlight and purple in the shade. Her cheeks bloomed with the faint pink that edges the clouds at sunset. Her lips were full red, pouting and sweet. For costume, she adopted oak leaf green all the wood nymphs dress in that color and no, no other so desirable. Her dainty feet were sandal clad while her head remained bare of covering other than her silken tresses. The seal's duties were few and simple. She kept hurtful weeds from growing beneath her trees and sapping the earth food required by her charges. She frightened away the gadgulls, who took evil delight in flying against the tree trunks and wounding them so that they drooped and died from the poisonous contact. In dry season, she carried water from the brooks and pools 
and moistened the roots of her thirsty dependence. That was in the beginning. The weeds had now learned to avoid the forest where wood nymphs dwelt. The loathsome gagdolls no longer dared come nigh. The trees had become old and sturdy and could bear the drought better than when fresh sprouted. So Nasil's duties were a lesson, and time grew laggard, while succeeding years became more tiresome and uneventful than the nymph's joyous spirit loved. Truly, the forest dwellers did not lack amusement. Each full moon, they danced in the royal circle of the queen. There were also the Feast of Nuts, the Jubilee of Autumn Tintings, the solemn ceremony of leaf shedding, and the revelry of budding day. But these periods of enjoyment were far apart and left many weary hours between. That a wood nymph should grow disconnected was not thought of by Nasil's sisters. They came upon her only after many years of brooding. But when once she had settled in her mind, that life was irksome. She had no patience with her condition and longed to do something of real interest and to pass her days in ways hitherto undreamed of by forest nymphs. The law of the forest alone restrained her from going forth in search of adventure. While this mood lay heavy upon pretty Nasil, it chanced that the great act visited the forest of Burzee and allowed the wood nymphs, as their wont, to lie at his feet and listen to the words of wisdom that fell from his lips. Ak is the master woodman of the world. He sees everything and knows more than the sons of men. That night, he held the queen's hand, for he loved the nymphs as a father loves his children. And the seal lay at his feet with many of her sisters and earnestly hearkened as he spoke. We live so happily, my fair ones, in our forest glades, said I, stroking his grizzled beard thoughtfully, that we know nothing of the sorrow and misery that fall to the lot of those poor mortals who inhabit the open spaces of the earth. They are not of our race. It is true, yet compassion well befits being so fairly favored as ourselves. Often as I pass by the dwelling of some suffering mortal, I am tempted to stop and banish the poor thing's misery. Yet suffering, in moderation, is the natural lot of mortals. It is not our place to interfere with the laws of nature. Nevertheless, said the fair queen, nodding her golden head at the master woodsman, it would not be a vain guess that Ak has often assisted these hapless mortals. Ak smiled. Sometimes he replied, when they are very young, children, the mortals call them, I have stopped to rescue them from misery. The men and women I dare not interfere with. They must bear the burdens nature has imposed upon them. 
but the helpless infants, the innocent children of men, have a right to be happy until they become full-grown and able to bear the trials of humanity. So I feel I am justified in assisting them. Not long ago, a year maybe, I found four poor children huddled in a wooden hut, slowly freezing. Their parents had gone to a neighboring village for food and left a fire to warm their little ones while they were absent. But a storm arose and drifted the snow in their path so they were long on the road. Meantime, the fire went out and the frost crept into the bones of the waiting children. Poor things, murmured the queen softly. What did he do? I called Nelko, bidding him to fetch wood from my forest and breathe upon it until the fire blazed again and warmed the little room where the children lay. Then they ceased shivering and fell asleep until their parents came. I'm glad you did thus, said the good queen, beaming upon the master. And the seal, who had eagerly listened to every word, echoed in a whisper, I, too, am glad. And this very night, continued I, as I came to the edge of Bursey, I heard a feeble cry, which I judged came from a human infant. I looked about me and found, close to the forest, a helpless babe, lying quite naked upon the grasses and wailing piteously. Not far away, screened by the forest, crouching Chiagra, the lioness, intent upon devouring the infant for her evening meal. And what did you do, Ack? asked the queen, breathlessly. Not much, being in a hurry to greet my nymphs. But I commanded Chiagra to lie close to the babe and to give it her milk to quiet its hunger. And I told her to send word throughout the forest to all beasts and reptiles that the child should not be harmed. I am glad you did thus, said the queen again, in a tone of relief. But this time the seal did not echo her words, for the nymph, filled with a strange resolve, had suddenly stolen away from the group. Swiftly, her lithe form darted through the forest paths until she reached the edge of mighty Bursey, when she paused to gaze curiously about her. Never until now had she ventured so far, for the law of the forest had placed the nymphs in its utmost depths. The seal knew she was breaking the law, but the thought did not give pause to her dainty feet. She had decided to see with her own eyes this infant Ak had told her of, for she had never yet beheld a child of man. All the immortals are full grown. There are no children among them. Peering through the trees, Nasil saw the child lying on the grass. But now was sweetly sleeping, 
having been comforted by the milk drawn from Chiagra. It was not old enough to know what peril means. If it did not feel hunger, it was content. Softly, the nymph stole to the side of the babe and knelt upon the sward, her long robe of rose-leaf color spreading about her like a gossamer cloud. Her lovely countenance expressed curiosity and surprise, but, most of all, a tender, womanly pity. The bay was newborn, chubby and pink. It was entirely helpless. While the nymph gazed, the infant opened its eyes, smiled upon her, and stretched out two dimpled arms. In another instant, the seal had caught it to her breast and was hurrying with it through the forest paths. Chapter 3 The Adoption The master woodsman suddenly rose with knitted brows. There is a strange presence in the forest, he declared. Then the queen and her nymphs turned and saw, standing before them, the seal, with the sleeping infant clasped tightly in her arms and a defiant look in her deep blue eyes. And thus for a moment they remained. The nymphs filled with surprise and consternation, but the brow of the master woodsman gradually clearing as he gazed intently upon the beautiful immortal who had willfully broken the law. Then the great eye, to the wonder of all, laid his hand softly on the seal's flowing locks and kissed her on her fair forehead. For the first time within my knowledge, said he, gently, a nymph has defied me in my laws. Yet in my heart can I find no word of chiding. What is your desire, Nasil? Let me keep the child, she answered, beginning to tremble and falling on her knees in supplication. Here in the forest of Burzee, where the human race has never yet penetrated, questioned I. Here in the forest of Burzee, replied the nymph boldly, it is my home, and I am wary for lack of occupation. Let me care for the babe. See how weak and helpless it is. Surely it cannot harm Burzee, nor the master woodsman of the world. But the law, child, the law, cried I sternly. The law is made by the master woodsman, returned the seal. If he bids me care for the babe he himself has saved from death, who in all the world dare oppose me? Queen Zerline, who had listened intently to this conversation, clapped her pretty hands gleefully at the nymph's answer. You are fairly trapped, Oak, she exclaimed, laughing. Now, I pray you, give heed to Nasil's petition. The woodsman, 
as was his habit when in thought, stroked his grizzled beard slowly. Then he said, She shall keep the babe, and I will give it my protection. But I warn you all that as this is the first time I relax the law, so shall it be the last time. Nevermore, to the end of the world, shall a mortal be adopted by an immortal. Otherwise, would we abandon our happy existence for one of trouble and anxiety. Good night, my nymphs. Then Ak was gone from their midst, and the seal hurried away to her bower to rejoice over her new-found treasure. Chapter 4 Claws Another day found the seal's bower the most popular place in the forest. The nymphs clustered around her and the child that lay asleep in her lap with expressions of curiosity and delight. Nor were they wanting in praises for the great act's kindness in allowing the seal to keep the babe and to care for it. Even the queen came to peer into the innocent childish face and to hold a helpless chubby fist in her own fair hand. What shall we call him, Nasil? she asked, smiling. He must have a name, you know. Let him be called Claus, answered Nasil, for that means a little one. Rather let him be called Naklaus, returned the queen, for that will mean Nasil's little one. The nymphs clapped their hands in delight, and Naklaus became the infant's name, although Nasil loved best to call him Claus, and in after days many of her sisters followed her example. Nasil gathered the softest moss in all the forest for Claus to lie upon, and she made his bed in her own bower. Of food the infant had no lack. The nymphs searched the forest for bell udders, which grow upon the goa tree, and when opened are found to be filled with sweet milk. And soft-eyed does willingly gave a share of their milk to support the little stranger, while Shiegra, the lioness, often crept stealthily into Nasil's bower and purred softly as she lay beside the babe and fed it. So the little one flourished and grew big and sturdy day by day, while Nasil taught him to speak and to walk and to play. His thoughts and words were sweet and gentle, for the nymphs knew no evil, and their hearts were pure and loving. He became the pet of the forest, for Axe decree had forbidden beast or reptile to molest him, and he walked fearlessly wherever his will guided him. Presently, the news reached the other immortals that the nymphs of Burzee had adopted a human infant and that the act had been sanctioned by the great act. Therefore, 
Many of them came to visit the little stranger, looking upon him with much interest. First the Rills, who are first cousins to the wood nymphs, although so differently formed. For the Rills are required to watch over the flowers and plants as the nymphs watch over the forest and trees. They search the wide world for the food required by the roots of the flowering plants while the brilliant colors possessed by the full-blown flowers are due to the dyes placed in the soil by the rills, which are drawn through the little veins in the roots and the body of the plants as they reach maturity. The rills are a busy people, for their flowers bloom and fade continually. They are merry and light-hearted and are very popular with other mortals. Next came the Nooks, whose duty it is to watch over the beasts of the world, both gentle and wild. The Nooks have a hard time of it, since many of the beasts are ungovernable and rebel against restraint. But they know how to manage them, after all, and you will find that certain laws of the Nooks are obeyed by even the most ferocious animals. Their anxieties make the nooks look old and worn and crooked, and their natures are a bit rough from associating with wild creatures continually. Yet they are most useful to humanity and to the world in general, as their laws are only laws the forest beasts recognize except those of the Master Woodsman. Then there were the fairies, the guardians of mankind, who were much interested in the adoption of claws because their own laws forbade them to become familiar with their human charges. There are instances on record where the fairies have shown themselves to human beings and have even conversed with them. They are supposed to guard the lives of mankind, unseen and unknown, and if they favor some people more than others, it is because they have won such distinction fairly the fairies are very just and impartial. But the idea of adopting a child of men had never occurred to them because it was in every way opposed to their laws. So their curiosity was intense to behold the little stranger adopted by Nasil and her sister nymphs. Claus looked upon the immortals who thronged around him with fearless eyes and smiling lips. He rode laughingly upon the shoulders of the merry rills. He mischievously pulled the gray beards of the low brown nooks. He rested his curly head confidently upon the dainty bosom of the fairy queen herself. And the rills loved the sound of his laughter. The nooks loved his courage. The fairies loved his innocence. The boy made friends of all of them and learned to know their laws intimately. No forest flower was trampled beneath his feet, lest the friendly rill should be aggrieved. He never interfered with the beasts of the forest, lest his friends, the nooks, should become angry. 
the fairies he loved dearly, but knowing nothing of mankind, he could not understand that he was the only one of his race admitted to be friendly with them. Indeed, Claus came to consider that he alone, of all the forest people, had no like nor fellow. To him the forest was the world. He had no idea that millions of toiling, striving human creatures existed. And he was happy and content. Chapter 5 The Master Woodsman The years pass swiftly in Burzee, for the nymphs have no need to regard time in any way. Even centuries make no change in the dainty creatures. Ever and ever they remain the same, immortal and unchanging. Claus, however, being mortal, grew to manhood day by day. The seal was disturbed presently to find him too big to lie in her lap, and he had a desire for other food than milk. His stout legs carried him far into Bursey's heart, where he gathered supplies of nuts and berries, as well as several sweet and wholesome roots, which suited his stomach better than the belutters. He sought Nasil's bower less frequently, till finally it became his custom to return thither only to sleep. The nymph, who had come to love him dearly, was puzzled to comprehend the changed nature of her charge and unconsciously altered her own mode of life to conform to his whims. She followed him readily through the forest paths, as did many of her sister nymphs, explaining as they walked all the mysteries of the gigantic wood and the habits and nature of the living things which dwelt beneath its shade. The language of the beast became clear to the little claws, but he never could understand their sulky and morose tempers. Only the squirrels, the mice, and the rabbits seemed to possess cheerful and merry natures. Yet would the boy laugh when the panther growled and stroked the bear's glossy coat while the creature snarled and bared its teeth menacingly. The growls and snarls were not for claws, he well knew, though what did they matter? He could sing the songs of the bees, recite the poetry of the wood flowers, and relate the history of every blinking owl in Bursey. He helped the rills to feed their plants and the nooks to keep order among the animals. The little immortals regarded him as a privileged person, being especially protected by Queen Zerline and her nymphs and favored by the great hack himself. One day the master woodsman came back to the forest of Burzee. He had visited in turn all his forests throughout the world, and there were many and broad. Not until he entered the glade where the queen and her nymphs were assembled to greet him did Ack remember the child he had permitted Nasil to adopt. Then he found, sitting familiarly in the circle of lovely immortals, 
a broad-shouldered, stalwart youth, who, when erect, stood fully as high as the shoulder of the master himself. Mac paused, silent and frowning, to bend his piercing gaze upon Claus. The clear eyes met his own steadfastly, and the woodsman gave a sigh of relief as he marked their placid deaths and read the youth's brave and innocent heart. Nevertheless, as Ak sat beside the fair queen and the golden chalice filled with rare nectar passed from lip to lip, Master Woodsman was strangely silent and reserved and stroked his beard many times with a thoughtful motion. With morning, he called Claus aside in kindly fashion, saying, Bid goodbye for a time to Nassil and her sisters, for you shall accompany me to my journey through the world. The venture pleased Claus, who knew well the honor of being companion of the master woodsman of the world. When Nassil wept for the first time in her life and clung to the boy's neck as if she could not bear to let him go, the nymph who had mothered this sturdy youth was still as dainty, as charming and beautiful as when she had dared to face Ag with the babe clasped to her breast. Nor was her love less great. Mac beheld the two clinging together, seemingly as brother and sister to one another. And again, he wore his thoughtful look. Chapter 6 Claus Discovers Humanity Taking Claus to a small clearing in the forest, the master said, Place your hand upon my girdle and hold fast while we journey through the air, for now we shall encircle the world and look upon many of the haunts of those men from whom you are descended. These words caused Claus to marvel, for until now he had thought himself the only one of his kind upon the earth. Yet in silence he grasped firmly the girdle of the gray act, his astonishment forbidding speech. Then the vast forest of Burzee seemed to fall away from their feet, and the youth found himself passing swiftly through the air at a great height. Ere long, there were spires beneath them, while building of many shapes and colors met their downward view. It was a city of men, a dak pausing to descend, white claws to its enclosure. Said the master, So long as you hold fast to my girdle, you will remain unseen by all mankind, though seeing clearly yourself. To release your grasp will be to separate yourself forever from me and your home in Burzee. One of the first laws of the forest is obedience, and Claus had no thought of disobeying the master's wish. He clung fast to the girdle and remained invisible. Thereafter, 
With each moment passed in the city, the youth's wonder grew. He who had supposed himself created differently from all others now found the earth swarming with creatures of his own kind. Indeed, said I, the immortals are few, but the mortals are many. Claus looked earnestly upon his fellows. There were sad faces, gay and reckless faces, pleasant faces, anxious faces and kindly faces, all mingled in puzzling disorder. Some worked at tedious tasks, some strutted in impudent conceit, some were thoughtful and grave while others seemed happy and content. Men of many natures were there, as everywhere, and Claus found much to please him and much to make him sad. But especially he noted the children, first curiously, then eagerly, then lovingly. Ragged little ones rolled in the dust of the streets, playing with scraps and pebbles. Other children, gaily dressed, were propped upon cushions and fed with sugar plums. Yet the children of the rich were not happier than those playing with the dust and pebbles, it seemed to Claus. Childhood is the time of man's greatest contempt, said I, following the youth's thoughts. Tis during these years of innocent pleasure that the little ones are most free from care. Tell me, said Claus, why do not all these babies fare alike? Because they are born in both cottage and palace, returned the master. The difference in the wealth and the parents determines the law of the child. Some are carefully tended and clothed in silks and dainty linen. Others are neglected and covered with rags. Yet all seem equally fair and sweet, said Claus thoughtfully. Well, they are babes, yes, agreed I. Their joy is in being alive, and they do not stop to think. In after years, the doom of mankind overtakes them, and they find they must struggle and worry, work and fret, to gain the wealth that is so dear to the hearts of men. Such things are unknown in the forest where you were reared. Claus was silent a moment. Then he asked, Why was I reared in the forest, among those who are not of my race? Then I, in gentle voice, told him the story of his babyhood, how he had been abandoned at the forest edge and left a prey to wild beasts, and how the loving nymph Nasil had rescued him and brought him to manhood under the protection of the immortals. Yet I am not of them, said Claus, musingly. You are not of them, returned the woodsman. The nymph who cared for you as a mother seems now like a sister to you. By and by, when you grow old and gray, she will seem like a daughter. Yet another brief span, and you will be but a memory, while she remains Nasil, 
But why, if man must perish, is he born? demanded the boy. Everything perishes except the world itself and its keepers, answered Ak. But while life lasts, everything on earth has its use. The wise seek ways to be helpful to the world, for the helpful ones are sure to live again. Much of this clause failed to understand him fully, but a longing seized him to become helpful to his fellows, and he remained grave and thoughtful while they resumed their journey. They visited many dwellings of men in many parts of the world, watching farmers toil in the fields, warriors dash into cruel fray, and merchants exchange their goods for bits of white and yellow metal. And everywhere the eyes of Claus sought out the children in love and pity, for the thought of his own helpless babyhood was strong within him, and he yearned to give help to the innocent little ones of his race, even as he had been succor by the kindly nymph. Day by day, the master woodsman and his pupil traversed the earth. Ak, speaking but seldom to the youth, who clung steadfastly to his girdle, but guiding him into all places where he might become familiar with the lives of human beings. And at last, they returned to the grand old forest of Burzee, where the master sat claws down within the circle of nymphs, among whom the pretty Nasil anxiously awaited him. The brow of the great Ak was now calm and peaceful, but the brow of Claus had become lined with deep thought. Nasil sighed at the change in her foster son, who until now had ever been joyous and smiling, and the thought came to her that never again would the life of the boy be the same as before this eventful journey with the master. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Merry Christmas. Good night.